Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another episode. It is the first Monday of October, celebrating our two years of doing a podcast. It is Request Monday here at the Metal Exchange. We'll get into all of that and more very, very soon. But first, my man, how are you doing? I'm going slightly mad. <laughs> and very, very, very uh, appropriately so. We are doing something really interesting today. Uh, it's kind of a special episode. Uh, by request, we are going back to 1991 to cover Queen's final studio album, Innuendo, uh, which was a real treat for me and for it's actually us. Not, and- it's actually not their final studio album, but it was their final studio album released in Freddie Mercury's 100%. time. They actually 100%. did release one more album after this. That You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But this is like ostensibly their last um, album as like you know a a, 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 a living unit, I guess. Because I think the the final studio album was a lot of like um like cut, cutting wood cutting cutting room floor type stuff that they yes. used to kind of um kind of doctor up a new album. But um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that was no. That you was you are absolutely correct. But I guess in my mind, I just view this as the final outfit of of the band, if you will. But you're absolutely right. right. Going back to 1991, this request came from uh, a listener of the show, Adam Askoff, who's a really cool guy, and he he uh, sent us a lot of stuff that we're actually going to be using throughout the episode, just because it's uh, really really fitting and a really uh, bunch of cool things that he did for us. But before we get there. It's been an interesting week. Uh, a lot of news to report at the end. Uh, some stuff that obviously we're very much interested in. But I wanted to know if there was anything that you heard or listened to uh, during the week that kind of caught your ear. Uh, well, besides these guys mowing the lawn next door. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah. Um, yesterday, I was uh, just I got like a um, I got a uh, a notification from the from iTunes that just said Sonata Arca has a new album, at which I did not really realize that they had released a volume two of their uh, their uh, acoustic adventures, um, which the volume one I think was released earlier this year. And so, um, you know, I, I quickly grabbed it and, and was like, "Oh, let me," you know, even though I'm, I have some other things that are not as new um, to listen to, I, I was kind of just in the in that kind of headspace where I think uh, acoustic songs of that of songs that i was familiar with was the right call and i gave it a listen and i have to say i liked it a little bit more than the volume one just based on the um the song selection um you know they they um they did black sheep and letter to dina full moon shaman the lie san sebastian graven image my land victoria's secret a lot of um some of the older more stuff classic stuff from yeah 
the band. Um, I really enjoyed the um, ha- the version of Half a Marathon Man. I thought that was really well done. Um, just a really cool. I mean, I know like expectations should be tempered when it comes to this band for a lot of people. I happen to be kind of okay with their recent outputs um, as kind of soft as they may be for a band that was once a, a, a real power metal heavy hitter. Um, but uh, this is enjoyable if you're into acoustic, you know, renderings of, uh, of classic Sonata Artica tunes. Um, I, I know, um, I know our mutual friend, Mike Johnson is, a, was a big fan of the, the first album. So I'll be curious to see what he has to say about this uh, second volume of songs. But uh, yeah, as far as personal, me personally, um, I just enjoyed the song selection better on the second volume. The the first one didn't do very much for me, but I do acknowledge up front that the song selection on this one is more my taste with them kind of going to back to those first three albums or so. So I'll definitely check this out and give it a listen, albeit with, with the tempered expectations that I think it warrants. Um, but yeah, it, it's... You know, certain bands, you know, kind of get better, in my opinion, over time. They have not, and they've kind of fallen off the map for me a bit. But I'm still waiting for them to, you know, return to form, if you will. But it's cool that they, I guess, are doing these little excursions into other, you know, facets of their music, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, to quote the Gin Blossoms, if you don't expect too much from me, you might not be let down. Amen. Well well said. <laughs> uh, and here we are almost 30 years later with that album, which is a whole a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll be covering that next week. Yeah, it'll, be an, it'll be an old miserable experience. But um, <laughs> uh, Also, you had sent me a band that I enjoyed quite a bit. And, you know, we're going to have to call in the experts on the pronunciation here. But uh, uh, the band is called uh, Verlinia. Um, they're actually from... Um, was it uh, from Canada? Um, I think they're from Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, a French Canadian band, um, and just uh, really um, solid symphonic power metal. I um, I had only heard the song "The Flaming Eyes" uh, thus far, but um, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the album. And you know, this one kind of took me by surprise because I hadn't gotten any of the the singles yet. But apparently. Um, Terramaze has a, a new album coming out called Flight of the Wounded, and, and like I just went on to iTunes and realized there's like three singles from it already, and I haven't heard any of them yet. Um, the uh, the singles are titled Gold, The Thieves Are Out, and For the Thrill, and uh, I feel like it's been a while since Terramaze has done anything, and by that, I mean it's been about six months. Right. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I told you my my, my star of, of 2021 um, was this band, in a sense, because they just released so much good material. I haven't heard these singles, so I think at this point I'll just wait for the album because I feel like I'm already like kind of missed the boat, if you will, on the singles. Um, but I love what they do. I think their recent stuff has been phenomenal. So um, definitely look forward to, to that. And then I'm going to – contrast this with a band that hasn't done anything in a really really long time back in like the mid 2000s i'm talking like 2005 2006 something like that there was a band and i believe they were out of utah called hourglass i don't know if you were familiar with them but they kind of blended progressive rock and progressive metal and they did it really really well and for some reason they just had a sound that was really appealing and very melodic and catchy and just 
interesting stuff that they were doing. And then they kind of released three albums, I think, and they never to be heard from again. And then all of a sudden, apparently on September 24th, they released a new single. And when Hourglass releases a single, it's uh, 25 minutes in length. So I can only imagine (laughs) what this album is going to be. But it was really good. They have uh, a new singer in the fold. um, So it's got a little bit of a different feel. But they've stepped up the production big time. And it just sounds good. The song itself is called Void Within. Um, I'm going to post it this week. I hope it doesn't feel like a chore for most people to sit through a 25 minute song, but you'll get a real sense of what this band is about. I can, I can assure you. Um, I was really excited to see this. Um, it had been far too long for, for this bit, you know, group of talented guys to come out with something. So cheers to them. Yeah. I have a couple of their albums. I remember the song altered state, which is, I think the shortest song they ever wrote at four minutes and 43 seconds. Cause yeah. I'm looking at their Oblivious to the Oblivious. Oh, I'm sorry, Oblivious to the Obvious album, and um, the track the tracks clock in at twelve, ten, thirteen, eleven, twenty one, fourteen, seven, seven, ten, and thirty minutes each. So, <laughs> do your own math. Um, they they definitely go all out. Call Scott but, uh, Yeah, it's 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 it's. Uh, there's a 33 and a third chance that you're probably going to love this album, but they, they are really good at what they do. Um, and, and, you know, I'm dating myself. I remember their, their first album called The Journey Into was what really got me into the band, despite the fact that it had questionable production at best. It's 20 years old. Um, I picked this up, I think, at Prog Power 4, maybe. I mean, like, I'm going way back in time, but these guys, they've always held a soft spot in my heart. So I was happy to hear new music from them. From what I understand, this 25-minute um, single is part of an album that's coming out at some point in the future. I don't know if it's a double CD, a triple CD, or, or, or what have you, but I can only imagine that it's chock full of, of music if, if this is the you know first release from the album. That's cool. I, um, I'll, I'll definitely check that out because I, I, I honestly, Altered State was the only song I remember... And I, I'm almost positive that it came on your recommendation. I can't imagine where else I would have picked it up from. Um, and I just remember it being kind of a very, um, very like bassy kind of prog song that was that was kind of kind of quirky and cool. So the reason I think you'd be into them as opposed to some of the other stuff is that it's quote unquote accessible and melodic. It's not really over self indulgent, which. I guess when you have a 25 minute single, you say, well, how the hell can that be? But it's true. Like it's, 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 it's a suite that moves. And I think that you'll appreciate how, you know, the ebbs and flows of the song, but I like my self-indulgence mindless. (laughs) There you go. Um, Let's, let's get into it. As I, as I mentioned earlier, um, Adam had recommended that we do some queen and I have to say at the outset, queen is an interesting band for me insofar as I knew the greatest hits. I knew the radio songs. I loved the radio songs. And then in preparation really for um, Jeff Scott Soto's Prague Power performance, which was supposed to take place three years ago, um, he had recorded a live album with I think 40 or 50 different tracks from the band that he covered at a Queen fan club convention as one of the bands like biggest fans or what have you. And he did a phenomenal job on those songs. So I got very familiar with with a bunch of stuff in the discography, but I would be lying if I ever said I listened to an album straight through 
from beginning to end. And I know this is like sacrilege, um, but it was just one of those things where like I would hear it, I would love it, and then I would just move on to something else for some reason. I had the greatest hits album, I think a part one and two. And then this was, like I said, was my first deep dive into the an actual Queen album. And it was an interesting selection because this album is very different, in my opinion, from some of the stuff that they had been doing, you know, 10, 15, 20 years prior. Were you familiar with this band or, or some of the deeper cuts? Or were you kind of more of like the greatest hits guy like myself going into this week? Uh, you, you pretty much told my story, um, as well. Um, I, I was always, um, fascinated by this band when I was a kid, um, because all the songs I heard were always just really good. I mean, and then, uh, Wayne's world came and, and Bohemian Rhapsody just became like an anthem of my life. Um, much like it was for Mike Myers and why he insisted that that scene be placed in the movie. And, and there, there, there were actually um, the powers that be um, wanted to cut that scene from the movie. And, and Mike Myers had to insist. He was, he said, this will work. I promise you this will work. And it's become one of the most iconic scenes in film. And um, a cool little anecdote is that, um, Freddie Mercury received a um, advanced release of the film and got to see it before he passed away because I believe the movie came out shortly after he died. Um, or the, it, it's very close in time, and he thought the scene was hysterical. He was um, he he was he he gave it his uh, his highest uh, praise, and, and I thought that was such a cool thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I probably like knew like twenty five, thirty of their like most well-known songs. Um, I remember as a kid really wanting to get the greatest hits albums, but I never did for whatever reason. Um, I guess every time I went to tower records, I would find a copy of a Royal hunt album or, or, or a Hammerfall album and was so flabbergasted that they had one of those that I went for that instead. So, um, I think, I don't know, you could, um, maybe you could speak to this, but, um, I was always just very overwhelmed with the amount of material there was. And it was always a matter of, and I have this same experience with a lot of bands, but it's just like, I don't know where to start. It's kind of why I don't know Van Halen's catalog as well as I, I, I should, or Aerosmith, um, just because there's just so much that like, it's sometimes it's just easier to know the top 30 songs and, and call it a day. Um, I think I'd that's... be interested to dig up like a, um, I enjoy those, like when people rank every song in a band's catalog, maybe put together like a, a hundred best Queen songs and try to familiarize myself a bit more. But um, th- this was so interesting. I really did not know what to expect. And the only song that I knew going into it was The Show Must Go On, which is actually one of my favorite Queen songs. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that. When I was... When, when I'm told, are you familiar with whatever band it is? And it's a band that like has a massive discography like Queen. And this was their 14th studio album, Innuendo. The answer is often no, because I don't even know where to start. And like, yes, I could start at the beginning. But realistically, unless it's something I love, I don't want to start at the beginning, work through 14 albums only to find out that I'm not a fan of the band. And and And, and so sometimes you start out in the middle or sometimes you start out with – you know, 
based on a recommendation. But what I find myself doing is listening right to the greatest hits and then kind of going deeper at that point. But sometimes you just never quite get there. And that's what happened with me. Um, you know, when we go back a couple of weeks, we've done some really extreme and, and aggressive stuff with the death album and the extreme merciful fate album. This was such a nice contrast because it was a lot more digestible. And I didn't feel like it was, I don't want to say a chore because I like those albums in their own right, but this was just such, so different than, than those. And you're talking about a band um, that has influenced so many musicians over the years. This is like, I cannot begin to impress upon, I'm, I'm sure most people know this, but this band has been, um, you know, central or integral in the formation of thousands and thousands of bands that basically took Queen Sound and just pivoted a little and went on to do their own thing. And Adam was nice enough to send us a number of um, submissions by bands that we all know and love, just basically talking about how they got into the band and how they love the band. So I'll sprinkle these through th uh, throughout the episode. I'll start with Jag Panzer, the United States uh, power metal band. They said, quote, Queen is one of the bands that we look to for excellence in creating music. The guitar solos, vocal harmonies, lead vocals, etc. Everything was always top notch with Queen. There was no weak link in the band and everything they did was amazing. That's, I mean, high praise from from um, a band that has been very successful in their own right, at a, obviously at a much different level. But um, that's the kind of impact that they were having on a band like Jag Panzer, who sounds nothing like Queen, but you can definitely say that how the way they put their songs together, that there was influence there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that there's um, very many, at least speaking of metal, I can't imagine there's very many metal bands that didn't at least have some influence from Freddie's vocals or, or just the... The real like Queen is so over the top when you think about think about a song like Bohemian Rhapsody. That song came out in the seventies. Like that that song is so progressive and so ahead of its time. And like I, I you know, I again like I knew it from Wayne's World. I figured it was like a, a fairly recent song, and to find out that it came out like almost twenty years before, um, I was like that, that that just blew my mind there's some some things you just listen to when you're like wow I can't believe that this came out this long ago like because it's just such a a, a ahead of its time kind of vibe and I feel like actually this album that we're going to talk about is actually kind of a, a behind its time a little bit it actually cuz to me it has more of an 80s vibe even though it came out in in 90 91 um which is not abnormal for albums that came out in the early '90s, but um, some of these songs definitely gave me kind of a, a, a more of an '80s vibe. And but I think that's also a good thing too, just because um, I don't know. I don't know if I wanted to hear like what Queen would have turned into in the '90s. I, I just enjoyed them so much in the '70s and '80s. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm super excited to talk about this, just because, like you said, we the the stuff that we listened to the last couple of weeks is so like heavy and and dense and and extreme and like this is this was like easy to listen to uh, in yeah. comparison and and one of the things is not only have they had so much influence but they seem to have universal appeal 
and and obviously it's one of those bands that like who doesn't like this stuff like is there anyone that would say oh my god i don't like queen like there's something for everyone here because even with this one album there was so much diversity I, I, I'll apologize in advance. I'm going to be throwing out comparisons here to a bunch of different artists. Not so much that the songs sounded like those artists, but that the songs clearly either re- in certain cases resembled stuff that came before it or in other cases set the stage for what was to come. And I'm all over the map with this stuff because every song sounded so different on this album. You didn't have to go back and listen to it 12 times to kind of discern or find the nuances between tracks. Everyone stood on its own as a standalone track. And I thought that there was a simple brilliance to that kind of a, a thing where you can have 12 different songs, all of which sound nothing like the one before it. Yeah, 100%. And and for me personally, like our last two, um, our last two albums that we talked about, it, it really took more focus for me to kind of, you know, really try to pull, um, you know, different pull like what what made each song different and yeah with this it was just like i mean just the first like two songs could sound like they're from two completely different bands right off the bat and and i like that i also like that like they repeat the name of the song a lot in the lyrics so like you don't even have to look and see i'm like you know i think this song might be called i'm going slightly mad because he says it 16 times so like a hundred percent (laughs) Um, 100%. And and like, without further ado, the album comes out February 4th of 1991. Um, Obviously, Freddie Mercury, as as, you know, everyone knows, was very, very ill at this time and and would pass away some months later. Uh, But, you know, this is still the classic, classic, you know, Queen lineup, Freddie Mercury, Brian May, Roger Taylor, John Deacon, um, you know, legends, legends uh, of rock music. Before I start talking about the songs, how would you classify, if you had to say this is blank rock, how would you classify this? Because you use the word progressive, and I've always thought that they were one of the first progressive bands kind of getting together in 1970. I mean, yeah, we now we would say they're classic rock, fine, but they really transcend classic rock. It almost like they defined rock in, in a lot of different ways just because they had been so influential and had been around for so long. Can you put them in, in one specific classification or is it or, or are they just kind of above and beyond that? Uh, I think they might be above and beyond that. I mean, I definitely like broadly, very broadly would consider them like maybe one of the earliest prog rock bands for sure. I mean, there's definitely a lot of prog um, but there's also a lot of like, um, especially like with this first track, there's a lot of theatrical kind of vibes to it, and just very um, like I the, like just getting right into it. Like the the opening track, "Innuendo," is like this. It has a very like um, dramatic and theatrical kind of like almost like Broadway show kind of vibe to it at the beginning, and then it and then like it 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 busts out into like this you know, like rock song. Like it's so cool. Like this was a really great way to kick things off because it's just like this. Like, I I don't know what what you say stuff now. (laughs) This was one of the like two or three tracks on the album that I had heard before. And I'm not going to say that I knew the song well, but I had definitely heard it. 
And it's really a fascinating track because it's proggy, it's synth heavy. And then all of a sudden, when, when, when the theatrics kind of die down a little bit and the verses kick in, I start hearing Gates of Babylon by Rainbow, right? Like it's, it's it, with that, like that heavy hard rock sound to it. And it, all of a sudden, in the middle of the song, out of nowhere, bam, flamingo guitars, which by the way was, which, which I don't think anyone could have possibly said that they expected it. And it turns out that that was Steve Howe from Yes lending his, his, his guitar talents to, to the track. Um, it, it didn't fit necessarily, but it was so beautiful. And that when they went back into the song itself, um, it was really, really good. And I, and I have to say, it reminded me of like something you would hear on like the, on an arc album or a conception album where all of a sudden there would just be this passage of like Spanish guitar. And then they would go back into the track itself. And as the track kind of winds down again with that hard rock sound and even like these galloping drums, this, this is an incredible track, especially for 1991 bands were not really doing stuff like this. This like reminded me kind of, of, of an album we talked about recently. It reminded me of Stradivarius's dreamscape album. Uh, just mm. something about it. Just this kind of like, echoey mid-tempo like almost spacey kind of vibe um i I would i'd be surprised if timo tolki didn't have some sort of fandom for queen um you know like just uh i'm with you like there's little parts of, of different bands like that you just pick up and it's not so much that queen is borrowing from a bunch of different bands it's that a bunch of different bands borrowed from them and um yeah, as soon as the the flamenco guitar came in, I thought of our friend Brian immediately. Like, yes. uh, I, he he probably I'm I don't know this for a fact, but he probably loves the song. I'm just guessing that he loves the song. He uh, he would have to because as a guy who who you know had been playing classical guitar since we were kids, how could you not? Because it's just it's just beautiful. There's it's there's something to it, um, which is just like you gravitate towards that sound. You can't, you can't help yourself, but just kind of move to the, to the beat, if you will. Really interesting opening track. And, and, that, and like, to, I, I just yeah. want to mention too, like after that flamenco guitar, you have that, you have like the very theatrical Freddie Mercury vocal lines. And then the, the classic queen, like chorus where every, like all the vocals come in. The, and that's such a, um, a staple of queen that I don't think anybody does as well. It's just so that sound of that chorus that kicks in. And then, then like, there's just an electric guitar solo. Like the song has just so many layers. Um, it it just kind of makes me think of like a rock opera that's rolled into just one song. And it's the longest track on the album at six and a half minutes, but it's not, you know, it's it's not like some of these. Let's put it this way: it's not a twenty-five minute hourglass song. They managed to cram all this in six and a half minutes, right? Like it's just it's it's you're in, you're out, you're on to the next thing, and then you're back to where you were. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, really great way to to kick things off. And I, I the first time I heard it was this week, and and just that it it kind of set like a, an expectation that was not going to be met because I was like, oh, is this going to be like a a real like theatrical Broadway kind of album. And then like, the next song comes on and I'm like, Oh, okay. This is, we're just going to bounce around here. 
Oh, that's it. And and you've you've said it multiple times. I'm going slightly mad. This is a really eccentric track, and it's definitely befitting of of the name, and and that's why I guess you know it it, it sticks, if you will. It's kind of spooky, but it's endearing in a way. But it kind of made me sad because you almost wonder if it was like kind of like mental health issues just coming to the forefront in 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 you know I guess in in a Queen type of way. This was written by Freddie Mercury and Peter Stracker. Um, you wonder if like all the issues that Freddie was dealing with at the time kind of came to a head, if you will, with this particular track. I, I can't say for certain, um, but it is a very memorable track in its own right. Um, there was actually a video filmed for this song, but Freddie was very, very ill at the time. I've not seen it, but from what I understand, um, it's, it's about as eclectic as the track is, as Brian May is apparently dressed as a penguin. Roger Taylor wears a tea kettle on his head. John Deacon is dressed as a jester. I mean, it's out there and, and, and I think they're all going a little crazy, which makes sense given the name of the song. Do you have any thoughts about this one? I I absolutely love this song. This was um my favorite new uh uh discovery. Um it's it's got this 80s new wave kind of vibe to it but like with this like again like kind of like Broadwayish kind of vocal track to it. Um it's just and it's funny because um D- uh, John Deacon described it as the wacky single. And I mean, it's just, um, it, it just befits the, the, the track so perfectly. And, and so, um, honestly, um, it sounds to me like based on what I'm reading here is that this was really just them. I don't know if it was really based on anything, um, that deep. It was just them trying to make something goofy. And, and so, um, this is, this is from the, uh, the book Mercury and Me, which um, Freddie Mercury's partner Jim Hutton wrote. Um, this is a quote from it. Freddie set out with Peter trying to come up with a succession of goofy lyrics, each funnier than the last. He screamed when they came up with things like, I'm knitting with only one needle and I'm driving on only three wheels these days. But the master stroke was, I think I'm a banana tree. Once that came out, there was no stopping Freddie and Straker. They were in full flow. I went to I went to bed to fall asleep listening to their laughter wafting upstairs. Um, so I mean, th- I think that's just such a, a lovely little anecdote. Um, uh, that's from the uh, the 1994 book Mercury and Me, uh, which I kind of want to read now after just reading that one little blurb from it. Um, this was uh, this was so fun. It, it was kind of has like this uh, Alice in Wonderland kind of just like whack wacky vibe i i have to see this music video um it, it's probably a real trip it's got to go on your next power hour i mean <laughs> how could i with sight unseen make it uh make it the central video of the of the power i hour. might i might just make like all 60 videos this song and then that'll be <laughs> my way of admitting that i'm going slightly mad <laughs> you know it's funny i as i'm listening to the album i have no idea during that first listen, what was going to come next. So it's like, all right, after these two, what could possibly, possibly, you know, come next. And it's a song called headlong, which quite frankly, I guess is more of a standard rocker, if you will. But I kept hearing Barracuda by heart at the beginning of this song. And like, there's another thing here. Do you remember the, the, the movie school of rock with Jack Black? 
Absolutely. It's a great it's, movie. It is it is low key one of my favorite movies. And the song that the and, and I'm gonna just spoil this because if you haven't seen this movie yet, chances are you're never going to see it. So I don't feel bad. Hey, listen, that I'm spoilers it. for twenty year old movies are allowed at this point. Hundred uh, percent. Um so the at the end of the show, the this the the kids get on stage and they they kind of rock out to this song in front of a packed crowd. This song, Headlong, reminded me of that song in School of Rock, just that straight-up rocker, this mid-paced song with a great guitar solo and just an easy, enjoyable listen that you can kind of rock out to. That's what it made me think of, and there is nothing wrong with that. I I really enjoyed this song. Yeah, this is, to me, like a very – just a very straightforward, like, 70s or 80s-style rock song. Um, I I like the – the the backing vocals with the do daddy daddy do daddy do it's just a it's just a fun it's just a fun song good stuff I, I enjoyed this a lot too um the next song is a song called can't live um can't live with you this one I was not oh sorry I can't live with you I didn't love this track. I thought that the mix was great. And I think that that's a testament to the band that they can have mixes that are just so awesome. And the song screams queen. You, you instantly know what this song is. Um, it was a, it, it's an enjoyable song, but it just wasn't my favorite. I thought it was a tad repetitive, although I thought the bridge was really, really, you know, kind of a standout thing. And you do kind of want to move along to the to the beat and to the music. I just thought that it wasn't a standout track vis-a-vis the rest of the album. But I, I also admit I could be in the minority here um, because it seems like a lot of other people love this track. Yeah, I, I like it um, quite a bit. Um I don't know if I like it more or less than, than Headlong, the previous track. I like them both quite a bit. Um, not quite as much as the first two tracks, but um, again, I just thought it was another nice, like, we're, we're now four songs deep and all four songs sound nothing alike. Um, yet all four songs sound like Vintage Queen, and that's like the amazing thing about this band is that they have so many different uh, styles that they're good at that like they still sound like queen w- while not sounding repetitive um so yeah i thought this was um cool uh, apparently this was um this was written for um brian may's solo album and um he ended up gi- just giving it to the the band and and uh, he says that um most of the demo is actually in the recording um so oh, he said it it made the song impossible to mix, but uh, I just think it's cool that the the chorus is so Queen. You know, it's just that that layered Freddie Mercury vocal line. Like, just I don't know. Like, I don't know. No other band would have pulled off a song like this as well as as Queen did. Well, you mentioned Freddie Mercury, obviously, and for good reason because it this obviously has that vintage sound. I want to read a quote um, that was given to us by Matt Barlow of uh, Iced Earth and Ashes of Aries fame. He said, quote, Queen has been extremely uh, influential. For me, Freddie Mercury had always shown how you can deliver emotional and dramatic performance, but still never take things so seriously that you are locked into a caricature of a rock star. He was always just himself. That is perfection. Well, well said by Mr. Barlow. I mean, I, I just, I cannot get over, um, you know, some would say, and I think many would say he's probably the greatest front man, man of all time. I, I don't know that you can 
put many other people in his class. And for my money, the big standout track, if you will, or the song that I was had no familiarity with, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks was Don't Try So Hard. Uh, the next track, a bit of an ephemeral tune, great orchestration, and like the quintessential Freddie ballad. This song was so beautifully done. I don't know that it was the best song on the album per se. I don't even know if it's my favorite, but this one just hit all the right buttons for me. And as a result, I'm going to actually make this my song of the week. I want to hear your thoughts, but let's give it a listen first. Absolutely. You can leave it for another day. Don't try so hard. But if you fall and take a tumble, it won't be found. If you fail, you must grumble. Just savor every mouthful and treasure every moment when the storms are raging round you. Stay right where you are. There's something so beautiful about this and something so tight, like not a a note out of place and just so, so well done. Um, For me, one of one of my favorite tracks on the album. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this was kind of the the song title reminded me of what a lot of uh, women told me when I was a teenager. Um, (laughs) uh, I, I, I echo uh, pretty much everything you said um it's the the classic like layered guitar sounds the the classic queen layered guitar the 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 choruses the the high the high pitched freddy vocals like this is just so great and and what what's great about queen is that they make when they make a ballad it it's not cheesy it doesn't have that that cheesy, especially in the eighties when like power ballads were so cheesy. And like this, this is like a very, I think emotional and, and not cheesy at all performance. Um, I, I think it's a really great choice for your song of the week. And I'm glad that you chose it. Nice. Um, talk a little bit about the next track ride, um, ride the wild wind again, sounds nothing like anything else that came before on this disc. Um, you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is this is fun. This is just a, a a cool like there's maybe you have something more specific that to me like this had to have been repeated by somebody else in like a more metal maybe version. So I'm hoping you have some uh so, some like more specific insight there, but just the way that the song builds up with that that the the drumming that just kind of keeps the the pace going and um the 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 bass and the drums i think really shine in a song like this um i I don't know what uh what about you like what did it make you think i thought this was just a really cool once again another track that just has its own kind of flavor the sound effects of like 
the cars whizzing by and the piped in crowd noise. There's a lot going on in this track. What it reminded me of more than anything, I think, was the Scorpions. Now, I'm not okay, suggesting yeah. that the Scorpions, I mean, they obviously have been around for forever themselves, but it reminds me of like something that you would have heard on one of those like 1980s Scorpions albums, which predate this, but this is still a very much a Queen song. Not my favorite I, got, track. I definitely got an 80s vibe from this one. Yes, no, no question. Not my favorite track, I'll admit. Um, I kind of think it was well-placed on the album, kind of buried in the middle, just because I didn't think it was that remarkable. Um, in fact, I would say it's actually one of my least favorite tracks on the album, but I appreciate what they were trying to do, and I think it deserves its spot on the album. Um, but I also wouldn't put it up there with some of the others. But again, that's just me. I, I appreciate, I can certainly understand why one would really gravitate towards this. Yeah. Um, according to Wikipedia, uh, the song is a sort of sequel of uh, Roger Taylor's A Night at the Opera song, I'm in Love With My Car. Um, and uh, it also says that... Um, the song, the the um, the drums and bass line were eerily note for note similar to the Smiths' Shakespeare's Sister, um, huh. which create the sensation of speed and engines roar. So, um, definitely kind of more of a, like a stylistic type song. Um, I really, I really like this song too, man. Like this 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 album is just like like just hit it like a, every. It's a hit after a hit after a hit for me. I I haven't really heard any songs up to this point that I, that I didn't like. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I think that all God's people is the next track is actually for me, one of the low key, most interesting tracks on the album. The second this song starts, you know that this is queen. This is an epic little tune and check this out. Part Elvis, when he was doing the gospel stuff in the seventies, part Disney amusement park, throw them together and you get this track. This is a really quirky tune, but a lot of fun. And then about halfway through, it almost sounds like open mic night at the jazz club. This one was a grower for me. And every time I heard this song at first, I was like, what is this? And by the last time I listened to it, I'm like, this track is just fantastic. It is a quirky song. And I, and apparently it was part of um, Freddie's Barcelona project under the title quote, Africa, by night and then all of a sudden he asks may to play guitar on it and then now you have the entire band on it as, as a queen song this was i love this song i thought it was fantastic i'll tell you it made me think of the michael jackson stuff that was coming out right around this time where it was um a little bit less poppy and a little bit more of that gospel like you know uh choruses and things like that i totally got an mj vibe uh from this song and I agree. This is like super cool. Again, like a something totally different from the last several songs that we heard. Very cool. And and again, just another really cool, different kind of style um, from everything else. Like it, it's such an interesting, like just to come after a song, like ride the wild wind into this. It's like, if you didn't know any better, like how could you even think that this, these are the same the same band <laughs> and, and as i'm listening to it you know the, uh, in full candor there are albums that we've covered in the past which maybe i wasn't as familiar with and if i played it again it would come back to me like this but i can't say that any of the tracks i would tell you right now oh i remember what the eighth track on 
pick an album sounded like. I'm telling you that if I went back to this album in six months, I would remember every one of these songs. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Like, without, no doubt without, like, in other words, I could tell you uh, these songs are now ingrained in me, and I've only heard them a handful of times this week. Um, for, for example, and I think the next track is actually representative of this. These are the days of our lives. I will forever think of the percussion on this song and the fact that it was just to me, just like an easy listening radio tune. I hear beach boys Kokomo on this song. And I think it's like, I'll never, I'll never, I'll always think of this as like, Oh, this was when queen did the whole beach boys thing. I, I thought it was great. It just, again, you, you, I, I never heard a band go from hard rock to gospel to, um, you know, basically checking off all the jazz, hitting all these genres in 45 minutes. How is that possible? Uh, just sheer talent and, uh, and eccentric- eccentricity. Nice. <laughs> um, talk, talk to me about, uh, these are the days of our lives. What do you think of this song? Uh, it, it's very like standard 80, 80s, like rock radio ballad type of song. I don't think it, it's not quite as heavy hitting as, um, don't try so hard. I don't think. Um, but, uh, it does have the distinction of being the last music video that Freddie appeared in. And he like, he looks straight into the camera and says, I still love you at the end of the song. So I don't think I'll ever be able to watch this video because I will have an emotional breakdown, but, um, it's a nice song. Um, it's not one of my favorites, but, uh, you know, again, it's just another, um, another song that I just think is totally, um, unique in and of itself throughout this album full of unique tracks. And uh, I know you're excited to talk about the next song. (laughs) Let me say this. As I'm listening to this song at the beginning, right? Like the first time I hear it, I'm saying to myself, wow, is, is, you know, is Delilah like a metaphor for something else or somebody else or something like that? Never thinking that, Delilah was one of his cats, one of Freddie's cats. Apparently he had 11 cats, but Delilah was extra special in this song, Delilah. And I'm not going to criticize the ode to, to the pet, but as a dog guy, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts. What do you think <laughs> about this track? This Delilah must have been one very, very special animal. I don't know how to describe this track. It's very catchy, electronic sounding, and the vocals are just top notch. And then all of a sudden, you start listening to the lyrics and the meows and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on here. Um, I, I still don't know that I appreciate this song and, and it's weird, right? Like I, I sent you a text in, during the middle of the week. I felt like I was watching cats on Broadway in 1987. <laughs> like I didn't know what was going on. I really struggled with this track, but this morning I was at the gym. I was working out. And I put the track on one more time and I kind of liked it. And I, I, I don't know what happened, but like it's growing on me and maybe I'm becoming a cat guy. I, I don't know. Uh, you might be the first person in history to have gotten better gains at the gym from listening to Queen's Delilah. I said nothing about better gains. I said I enjoyed the track. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. I, I, fu- I found the strength to, to do nine more reps after, <laughs> after I Love Your Kisses was repeated six times. Um, so... I, I mean, I, at first I was like, all right. So, I mean, I know Freddie didn't write this about a woman. Uh, I mean, I'm just pretty 
fairly certain. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe Roger wrote it or whatever. Um, then it, I'm like, did he just say when you pee all over my Chippendale suite? Like, I thought I heard it. And I'm like, no, there's no way that's the lyric. And so I looked it up. And sure enough, that's exactly what he said. Um, and, and and then um, it, it all came, you know, it all made sense when the meowing kicked in. Um Ooh. It's kind of hard to crap on a dead man's love of his cat. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. I mean, I think that it it's, if nothing else, it's I think it's incredibly sweet that he wrote this song. But um, I could understand why people were probably like, what the hell is this? And why is it here? It grew, uh, <laughs> it grew on me. Like, it grew on me. I don't know that I'm going to put it as It's my not a bad best. song. I mean, it's no, just I'm, very, I'm it's never just gonna... weird. If you ask me the best, not the best songs of 2022, but the best songs I first heard in 2022, I don't know that this is going to be at the top of the list, but it won't be at the bottom of the list. And it's going to be Delilah. The- and, for me, it's going to be Delilah and The Oath by Merciful Fate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about the Ode to Bret Hart called The Hitman. Um, this, <laughs> because once I saw the title, I'm like, this is great. I just pictured Freddie Mercury in the uh, pink sunglasses, but for some reason, I I don't think that's what he. I don't know if about. they ever. They probably never had a chance to tour this album, but they missed a good opportunity to have Anvil open for them. Oh my god! Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I, I that's really funny. Um, talk to me about the Hitman. This is one of the hardest rockers on the tune. Uh, on the album. By far, I think that this is, you're bordering on like '80s metal here. Tell me what you think about this one. It's it's good. I, I didn't love it. Um, I think um, I think there's a bit like between this and Delilah. I think, and these are the days of our lives. I think for me, there's a small lull towards the end of the album after like a really really strong start on that those first several tracks. But I also think that like it's kind of like well fitting to have this um the heaviest song on the album kind of right before the, the, um, the guitar, almost like a guitar intro sweet bijou, which goes into the final track, the show must go on. Um, I, I thought this was like, again, vintage kind of seventies, eighties rock, um, solid, solid song. Um, not one of my favorites, but, um, you know, good stuff. Um, I don't really know if I have much else to say beyond that. But this was uh, like Queen's attempt at arena rock. Like I feel yeah. like they were trying to fill up the arena, and it actually kind of satisfied the hard rock slash metal itch that you really didn't get so much on other songs on the album. This is a really cheesy song, but I, I liked it a lot. It was well constructed, and it was like kind of timely because here's the end of the hair band era, and now Queen is dipping their toe into the pool. I thought it was kind of fun. I, I liked it a lot actually. Cool. Um, the, the way this album ends, though, is spectacular. You mentioned both of the tracks. Bijou is, for all intents and purposes, this, like, ballady type of song, but it really is just an extended guitar solo. I feel like I've heard this song live, covered by, like, a guitarist during their guitar solo. And to me, I don't know that I've ever heard John Petrucci do it, but if you've listened to John Petrucci do guitar solos at Dream Theater shows... This is the type of solo that he does at his shows. And I feel like this must have been an influence for him. Um, you know, obviously growing up in the 80s, but then or even around this time prior to Images and Words coming out, this had to be a big influence for a guy like Petrucci. I, I could hear it in his in his guitar playing. 
do you remember when um when the when they were touring scenes from memory and they um for through through her eyes instead of having the 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 vocal the um I forgot the name of the vocalist who did that the real the um, choir like the yeah the, like the, that's really vocals. soulful vocal yes. intro so they had I think John did a guitar solo instead when to replace the vocals like that's kind of that kind of vibe that yes. I'm getting from this I also definitely got a little bit of an Ingve kind of vibe here too which i'm sure ingve will probably claim that he wrote the song um <laughs> right after as as he's having jeff scott Soto removed from a venue that he's not even at um it i i at first i just thought it was like a guitar intro to the show must go on and then the, the more times i listen to it i realize that there's actually it has its own vocal parts and, and kind of has its own identity and it's really not just like a guitar intro i mean i don't know that it's meaty enough to like really have that much of um i I don't know i don't know how how uh, to describe it exactly like it still kind of feels like an intro to the show must go on but also does kind of have its own personality and identity i think yeah it's i liked it a lot and i also got that whole intro vibe even though it is certainly a standalone track um, but I, I haven't heard a, a song of the week from you yet, so I have to assume it's The Show Must Go On. Um, before we take a listen to it, why? Tell me why. And and I, I've got some strong thoughts about this one as well. Yeah, well, it was between this and Delilah. Um, <laughs> uh, there's no, there's nothing about peeing in this song, which I think is nice. So that's, that's a plus. Um, I mean, it's sort of the thing where I go into I go into these things and it's like this is the uh, this is the song to beat like I, it's the only song I know it's one of my favorite Queen songs it's one of the best songs I've ever heard period the question is going in like is there another song on this album that I didn't know about that can top this and um, and and the, there just wasn't I mean as much as I enjoyed the rest of the album like this song is just so so epic and so um just so emotional and the fact that like the fact that like this it's called the show must go on and it's the last song on the last album that freddie mercury was alive for and the fact that the band continues on to this day makes the song like has so many emotional layers to it and it's almost like in a way um, like like Freddie saying to the rest of the band, like the show must go on. Keep doing it without me. Like you know, it's almost like I don't even think he wrote the song, but like it's almost like uh, in a way, it's his blessing to the band. Like you know, I, I would be mad if you didn't keep doing this without me. Um, but just as far as the song goes, it's just um, it has just everything that you could want in, in a queen power ballad. So um, uh, we'll, we'll give it a a listen and, um, and then I'll be curious to hear what you have to say about it when we, uh, when we come back. Turn it. 
this is my favorite song on the album. I can understand why this would go on to be one of their biggest hits. Um, it is iconic for so many reasons, but it's like a massive wall of sound with those keys and the drums. And then you great lyrics, great verses, a catchy chorus. I mean, this is Queen at its best. And it's kind of, again, fitting as their last track as, as an actual band on a song. I'm not sure anything could be better than this track. And again, it, it, we, we, the, I think you were very much on point with the way you said, like it was almost like the blessing to go on as a band, even despite the fact that Freddie wouldn't be around for much longer. This track is just perfect. And I'll tell you something. I didn't know this. This is apparently one of Elton John's favorite songs. And if it's good enough for, for Sir Elton, it's, it's more than good enough for, for us. Uh, just a phenomenal track. Here, here's a great piece of, of trivia. Um, the song was played live for the first time in April of 1992 at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, which by the way, if you haven't heard some of the renditions from this Elton John and Axl Rose doing Bohemian Rhapsody, George Michael doing, uh, somebody to love, um, this was performed by the three remaining members of Queen Elton John on lead vocals and Tony Iommi on rhythm guitar. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Mike that's, Rock. Just that's well, well, we can we can quite, we can close quite the debut of, of a, a really um, just a really epic song. Um, so a little bit of uh, a little bit of history here. Uh, when the band recorded the song in 1990, Freddie's condition had deteriorated to the point that. May had concerns as to whether he was physically capable of singing the song. And so May goes, uh, he said, Fred, I don't know if this is going to be possible to sing. And Fred went, I'll fucking do it, darling. Vodka down. And he went in and killed it, completely lacerated that vocal. And I love that description, lacerated that vocal. I mean, I love it. I, I, Freddie Mercury was a, was a friggin' like, he he was he was just a beast until the end like and i love that just that he um i, I think i saw a quote that said um that he 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 had said that um he would not stop working um i can't find it um, but he just it just said that he would no matter oh here it is here it is um he said that he would keep working until I fucking drop. Those were his his words, and and what he stayed true to those said? words. It's it's unbelievable. Before before I get your final thoughts and your score, I want to read another quote. This one from Arjun Lucasen, who we obviously appreciate sending this in. He said, "Quote: Well, the first Queen song I had heard was Killer Queen, and I fell in love with it straight away. The perfect combination of excellent musicianship, amazing vocals, intelligent composition, and a touch of humor." progressive rock without keyboards and then i discovered the rock bible queen 2 it may not have stood the time or stood the test of time sound wise but this is one of the most adventurous and darling albums i've ever heard i can quote every line on that album Lori and i often sing it when we're cooking together the first four queen albums have been a huge inspiration on my work mostly the innovative harmony vocals and brian may's unique guitar sound to boldly go where no man has gone before and obviously he's talking a lot about those, some of those earlier albums, but I think that they apply to this album as well, because there is elements of everything he just said on this album. Um, what, what else needs to be said? Uh, you know, it was 
consider, you know, thank you again, Adam, for the request. Um, this was a real trip for us and I can't thank him enough. And obviously, um, the contributions by some of these other artists kind of just sharing their thoughts about Freddie and, and the band is just, uh, you know, it, it is beyond words and before. I, I really just can't even add anything else to it. Um, but before we close out, I, I just want to get your score on this. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is Innuendo getting? This is an album that I think I'm going to go back to for years to come. There's songs on here. I'm going to listen to I'm Going Slightly Mad Forever until I actually go slightly mad, which I'm not far from doing uh, these <laughs> days. Um, uh, Innuendo, another the, the the title track is another one. Um this is this is just I'm so glad that we listened to this because this is just going to be something that um, I think is going to open the floodgates for me and listening to more Queen material um, and and also coming back and, and listening to this again. Um, I, I want to point out that um, the the way that all of these musicians come together, nobody outshines one another, um, but at the same time, I think that that causes you to kind of forget how good all of these guys are individually as musicians. The, the, the drumming, the guitar work is, is just absolutely fantastic. The bass playing and obviously the the vocals. um, There's some really heavy hitter musicians in this band. And, but I think that because they are so good at doing all these different types of songs and these types of styles and being like this, this, this unit where it doesn't feel like anybody's trying to, to outshine the other that you kind of almost forget that like Brian may is like this absolute like guitar beast, you know, and that Roger Taylor is this unbelievable drummer. Um, it's it's almost like the songwriting outshines the musicianship, which, by the way, they're all like virtuosos at what they do. But it, the songwriting is so much better than anything else that it almost like the musicianship lags behind. Although it, it would stand up on its own right against anybody, if that right. Makes sense. And then and then you have Freddie Mercury, just you know this this icon uh, of of rock vocals. Um, so that you know, obviously, he kind of takes center stage when it when it comes to what people think of when they think of Queen. Um, I, I I'm gonna give this one a uh, an eight point two five. Um, I think that uh, I think that it probably over time will kind of rise up to maybe even to like a nine. But um, it's all this was all new to me, which is kind of crazy. This was the album came out. 31 years ago uh, uh, <laughs> but well, um, I'll, I'll, to that point I remember vividly when Kurt Cobain passed away I was a kid I was at a bank with my parents and there was a they had the TV on you know on the at the bank and I remember getting the news reports that you know Kurt Cobain had died um, and so that was vivid in my mind in the in the mid nineties, but at the same time, I had no recollection of Freddie Mercury dying because I was nine, eight, nine years old at the yeah. time. Whatever. I mean, it was, was only it was only three years prior, but at the same time, like formatively, it was it was ages apart yeah. for me as a kid. I mean, going back to like when we talked about Green Day and how like there was almost like a point, at least for me, where like that became that that summer of nineteen ninety four was like when I really started to get plugged in to 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 like 
you know, current uh, alternative rock music. And it was right around that time that, that Kurt Cobain died. And so I think that's why uh, it was so, you know, memorable for us because we were in our formative music listening stage. Like I think when Freddie died, like my knowledge of queen was probably uh, we will rock you. And we are the champions from right. being played on the radio one after the other, by the way, you can never have never play one without the other. Otherwise it just doesn't sound right. And oddly enough, little sidebar on the album, the songs are actually played in reverse order, but on the radio, it's always, we will rock you into, we are the champions. But for some reason on the original album, it was the other way around. At least I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, but um, yeah, same with me. I do not remember. Um, and I think I'm wrong. I might be thinking of a, a greatest hits album where they flipped it or something like that. I can't remember what I'm, what I'm thinking of or whatever. Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, coming back you know. full circle with Nirvana. I mean, never yeah, mind exactly. Sense, never but, mind. Uh, um, but the reason I say this is because even though I have, you know, so th- this had predated me in a sense. Um, but like, this was an eye-opening experience because uh, I'll just say it, I'm giving the album a seven and a half. I really liked it. And as someone who often is now finding myself a little disenchanted with some of the genres that I had been listening to for 25 years, I have to go back and listen to all this other stuff because I feel like I'm just missing gold. And I'm not saying that every album is great or that every song is great. I, I don't know. But knowing the 50 that I knew and you combine it with the other dozen on this album, to me, I feel like there's a treasure trove of probably 50 or 100 other great songs that I feel like I'd be remiss not to hear. Yeah. And to be fair, I'm sure like the older albums probably only have like eight tracks on them anyway. So it probably is also fair. Yeah. Probably isn't like super overwhelming, but um, yeah. Uh, great stuff. Thanks again to, to Adam for this cool request. It's to me, like I, I almost look more forward to when we talk about non-metal albums, just because it, it's, I don't know. It's just nice to kind of reach out of the box because God knows there's way more non-metal albums in the world than there are metal albums as as much metal as there is. And as frightening as that thought might be. Um, (laughs) But uh, again, like there's just, it just goes to show you there's so much stuff out there that even crazy popular stuff that like we both could stand to know more about. No question. Um, I'll transition now into a little bit of news, and it's funny because we, we, we read the Arjun Lukinson quote earlier. A lot of news in the Arion camp. Number one, they re-released the single for Into the Black Hole featuring uh, Bruce Dickinson. It came out a couple of weeks ago. They are in the midst of re-releasing Universal Migrator Part 1 and 2, and it's funny because these were some of the first Arion albums I ever had. Um, I... I always thought they were mixed well. I'm almost surprised that they're actually going so far as to remix these albums. But they are. They're remixing both of them. And they also announced some live dates next September, uh, middle of September next year in in the Netherlands. I really want to go to this. Um, The timing is just exceptionally bad because I'm already like pot committed to Prague Power, which I think is the week prior. But boy, am I contemplating just kind of catching a flight, catching a show and coming home. That's how much I want to see this stuff. Yeah. I might have to join you if that, <laughs> if, if it comes down to that. Um, 
But we could do uh we could do Mad with Power, Prog Power and, and an Arion show and, and then just not spend any money for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean they just talk about front loading everything. Uh should be really interesting. I look forward to hearing the remixes. I, I know the one song that they released with Bruce was sounded really good. Um those are two low key great albums and i think that in many ways this single actually put arjun on the map right because i don't i don't when they were doing into the electric castle and stuff he had a host of great artists but i don't think they had blown up to the point of becoming one of the premier prog bands in the world uh they were getting close but they weren't quite there but then when you team up with bruce dickinson i mean you're, you're talking about metal royalty right there so it's it's it was a really interesting mix that was that was the album that i think brought Arion to my um to, to my attention just because of the the people that were on the album the the vocalists were Dickinson and Russell Allen Ralph Sheepers Damian Wilson Andy Darris Fabio Leone Timo Coti Pelto it was like uh um Ian Parry was on there um before he did um the 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 show in um Ralph's backyard um <laughs> Uh, Gary Werkamp has a guitar solo. Michael Romeo has a guitar solo. Like the 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 names that were involved in this. Um, Ed Warby, uh, the 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 wonderful Ed Warby, the drummer extraordinaire for Arion. Um, I, I just remember thinking, like, geez, I I, I need to listen to this because this, this was is a like who's who of what we were listening to at the time. Yeah, this was the this is the prog metal version of Avantasia, and even though it was before. Uh, Avantasia's first album, or actually, no, it was around the same time, actually, although Arion predates Avantasia, but this album came out the year before part one of the metal opera, I think, or maybe the same year, I forgot. Um, I always love the, uh, the, the, the side by side of having the power metal, um, the power metal like rock opera band versus the, the prog, and I like that they actually like acknowledged it when they had that uh, Arion versus Avantasia EP with Tobias doing, uh, I think that was the first time he had done vocals for Arion. So um, I don't know. I'm, all I'm saying is prog power uh, 25 uh, Arion Wednesday night, no other bands Avantasia Thursday night, no other bands. And then uh, Glenn can do the rest on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> you will not hear an argument out of me at all. I, that would just be mind-blowing. Um, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned Andy Darris earlier because guess who's coming to town? Halloween and Hammerfall. Mm-hmm. After, after, after shows all around the world together, I was praying that they would come to North America. And sure enough, May 13th in Dallas, the tour kicks off. They're going to play, I think, a dozen or so shows ending in San Francisco on June 3rd. We've got our tickets May 20th for uh, New York City. I cannot wait to see this. I um, was so, so excited to see this. I, I remember where I was when they announced that Kai and, and Kisk were rejoining Halloween. I, I remember exactly what room of what house I was in and like head explode emoji. Um <laughs> And I remember saying to myself, like, the second that there is a a U.S. tour, like, I'm in. And it took years after that announcement for them to actually get here. 
and the show was a week after Prague Power, and I went more than slightly mad when I was at Prague Power, <laughs> and and be, and due to some uh, some personal um, mental health issues, I just could not make it down to New York City to see the show, which is like a, an ultimate ultimate. I don't know if I would call it a regret considering the circumstances, but I just, it, it was just such, it was something that I knew needed to be rectified as soon as humanly possible. So fast forward another several years. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that this whole reunion thing has been going on for what, at least four years now. Um, yeah, easily, easily. It's, it's amazing. But uh, yeah, this is, this is my redemption. And, and I mean, I know they're not playing as long of a set, but hey, Hammerfall opening, sign me up. Could do a lot worse. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun show. So, kudos for them for for making it over here. And May will be here before you know it. So, um, something to look forward to. I'm also looking forward to hearing what you're gonna choose for next week. I feel like it's been a while, um, and I'm very curious. I have something lined up for the following week. I'll sh- I'll share that next week. But what are we listening to next week? Well, it's October. Uh, officially today, as we record, is October first, and uh, I when I think October, I think of Halloween, and when I think of Halloween, I think of Halloween, and I, I I'm hoping that we will uh, have a couple of Halloween based uh, episodes this month, but um, this one is a little bit it's more Halloween adjacent uh, than Halloween, but um, I want to talk about. Uh, the former guitarist Roland Grappo's solo album Kaleidoscope and um, part of the reason why is because we have not done an interview in a while and uh, not since Power Quest have we spoken to anybody um, in in any band and so I I don't have it nailed down yet but I'm hoping that we can have our first repeat uh, interview subject in Roland Grappo to come on and talk about this um i i remember getting this album when it came out and being really impressed with um how good it was i was already a big fan of mike vesera from his um vocals on ingve's seventh sign album and he was the he was pegged to do the um the vocals on this and uh you know mike tarana who is like the the, the 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 power metal drummer journeyman um, just he finds himself with you know in Taria and and he's been done, done so many different things um, I, I just uh, I just really like this album I feel like nobody ever talks about it other than me and you and yeah, right, um, right, right, right. And, and and being that we've had Roland on before I'm hoping that he would be uh, willing to come on again maybe he'll have his uh, eight o'clock glass of wine and and um, talk about a bunch of stuff that he wasn't planning on talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I vividly remember this album coming out in 1999. Um, I can't believe it's almost been 25 years, you know, 23 years or whatever. This is, this is a great album and low key. One of the better albums that we'll be talking about that like nobody knows about. So this, this will be definitely a fun week. Um, As I said, I've got a couple of surprises in store myself. So I look forward to that later in the month. And, um, you know, as, as Halloween and Hammerfall kind of embark on their United Forces tour uh, in 2023, I think before that, there may be some other United things that are coming together, which I think we will be very, very eager to share because there's a lot of exciting stuff happening to the Metal Exchange and to uh, 
some of our friends um, that are out there as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep it cryptic. I'll just kind of float that out there and I'll say uh, the, the best is yet to come. Beautifully said uh, cryptic writings or cryptic, cryptic sayings in this, in this case. <laughs> uh, enjoy, bud. I will talk to you soon. I'll look forward to speaking to you next week. All right. I'm going to try to go a little less slightly mad as we, as we make our <laughs> way to, to Roland's kaleidoscope album. Enjoy, bud. Take care.